The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing good? All right. Man, isn't it chilly this morning? It's kind of chilly in here. It feels chilly. It's good. It feels like winter. Well, Happy New Year. Glad you guys are here. If you're here for the first time, we just want to say welcome. Hey, before I jump into the message this morning, by the way, if you happen to bring a Bible, Luke chapter 7 is our text this morning. Luke chapter 7. Go ahead and open up your Bible. Turn it to, turn it on. Luke chapter 7. If you didn't bring one, the verses are going to be on the screen. While you're turning there, let me just tell you a couple things that I'm excited about in the life of our church right now. Obviously, this morning, we've already had it, but we had our second preview service in Granada Hills. We're launching, if you haven't heard, a, a new campus in Granada Hills. We'll officially launch it in February, and I've already received text messages this morning. They had a fantastic service this morning. Praise God for what he's doing there. And then also, um, last year, we supported a church plant in Columbus, Ohio, Watermark Church in Columbus, Ohio. Pastor Rick Young, he's one of my personal friends, one of my great friends. They launched a church this morning. They launched their church this morning. We financially contributed to their church, and uh, I got a report this morning from both Rick and other people who were in that service. They filled up almost every single seat, and we had the privilege and the opportunity to financially be a part of starting a new church in Columbus, Ohio. We're starting one in Granada Hills, and then later this year, we're also financially supporting a church in Orange County that will also launch. Isn't it good to be a part of what God is doing around our country and planting new church? Give God a hand for what he's doing. I just want you to know, we are so grateful for your generosity. We could not help other people plant churches without your generosity. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I told the first service I was going to skip my illustration because of that update. And I said, if you wanted to hear that illustration, come back to the second service. I didn't tell you a lie, but I'm not going to do the illustration this morning. So I apologize. So if those of you are getting up around this, you were uh, guests waiting on the illustration. Well, let me pray for us. And uh, we're going to jump right in this morning. I'm really, really excited. Jesus, thank you for today. God, this is your word. I pray that you would speak powerfully. God, may the loudest words that are spoken this morning, the loudest words that are heard today, may be from the word of God this morning. So speak to us, Jesus. We need to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen and amen. Well, I'm going to preach a message this morning on the subject of faith. And the title of the message this morning is Going His Way. This is the third part of a series in the book of Luke that we began last fall. If you were here in November, we preached through Luke chapter 6. That was called the Sermon on the Mount. It's an abbreviated form of the Sermon on the Mount. The longer form is found in the book of Matthew. So Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount, and now he's going to tangibly demonstrate in Luke chapter 7 and on, he's going to tangibly demonstrate everything that he's just taught in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's just jump right into it. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1 this morning, the Bible says, when Jesus had finished saying all of this, what did he just finish saying? He had just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Then uh, he said, when he finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum is a place, according to Luke chapter 4, where Jesus performed one of his first miracles. When he performed that miracle in Luke chapter 4, the Bible tells us that the people in Capernaum were amazed at his power and his authority and his ability to perform miracles. So Jesus is returning to the place where he's already performed miracles and where he's already known. Now, verse 2 says this, there in Capernaum, a centurion's servant whom the master valued highly was sick 
and about to die. So we see two characters in this story. We see the centurion. The centurion is a Roman soldier who had authority over a hundred other soldiers underneath him. And this Roman soldier had a servant whom he loved. We don't know much about this servant. We don't know what his sickness is. We don't know what his illness is, but we know that his servant is sick and he's dealing with a life-threatening situation. We don't know anything else about the servant. All we know is the centurion deeply loved his servant. Now, verse three says this, the centurion heard of Jesus. Of course he heard of Jesus. Remember, Jesus has already been in Capernaum. He's already performed miracles. The centurion had heard of Jesus and he sent some elders of the Jews to Jesus. Now, this is an indication that the centurion is a powerful man. He sends the most respectable people in town to go meet Jesus with a message for Jesus. And what was that message? He asked the elders to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. Verse four says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. Now pause just for a moment in the middle of this story. I don't want you to get stuck in verses four and five in this story. We know what's going to happen here. Jesus is going to heal somebody. That's how the story is going to end. I hate to give it away to you, but that's how it's going to happen. Jesus is going to heal the servant. But if we stop in verse four and five, we can get stuck here and see a man who has a great reputation. We don't know a whole lot about him, but the elder thought very highly of him. Maybe he was very charitable. Um, We obviously know that he gave financially to build a synagogue. We know that he was a patriot and he loved their nation. He was a man who was respectable, had a great reputation. He was a good guy and there's not much to not like about this guy. But if we get stuck in verse four and five, knowing what's about to happen, that Jesus is going to do what this man has asked. If we get stuck in verse four and five and see that this man is a good man, then what we'll get stuck on is believing that Jesus is going to do something for this guy because of who he is. Is that how God operates? Does God operate based on who's worthy and who's not worthy, who's respectable and who's got a good reputation, while the rest of us just need to keep climbing the ladder of reputation and worthiness to get God's attention? Is that how God operates? That's not how God operates. We'll see what happens here. Verse 6, so Jesus went with them. Now just pause for a moment. Can't you just picture this scene? The centurion has not come to Jesus. He sent the elders to Jesus. They tell Jesus, a man that we love and respect, is a very good friend who's sick, and he wants you to come to him. And the very next verse we see, Jesus went with them. Jesus' response to the elders' request, listen, is to start walking. He's moving towards the problem. He's moving towards the issue. You know this. Jesus could have healed on the spot. In fact, that's what Jesus eventually does. He could have just spoken a word and healed the man. That's what he eventually does. But the Bible says Jesus began walking. I love seeing this picture of Jesus coming to us in our time of need. Jesus is present in our time of need. He's available in our time of need. What do you need today? What do you need hope for today from Jesus? What do you need God to hear from you today? Can I just say this to you very uh, plainly? 
What you need this morning is not just a better attitude about your situation. You need access to the source of hope. And access to the source of hope comes by faith alone. And the centurion has access to God. How do you know that, Pastor Matt? Why do you know that? Because of his faith. He tells, uh, he tells his friends to go to Jesus. Listen, listen to what happens here. So he, Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house. Jesus was not. When the centurion sent other friends. Now, he'd already sent the elders. Jesus is coming. Now, the centurion goes to other friends, and he says, you know what? Go on out and meet Jesus and tell him this. Lord, don't trouble yourself. Why? For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Listen to what he says now. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. This is the centurion's demonstration of his faith. Now, look, um, there's a whole other sermon here about God's power to heal and his ability to heal and his will to heal. And when I originally began writing this sermon, that's the direction I was going to go, but that's not the point of the passage today. That's another sermon for another day. But let's see the point here beginning in verse 8. For I myself, the centurion says, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell servant, uh, soldiers to come, and they come. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, you can read the Bible over and over. You can read the Gospels thoroughly through. And it will be difficult to find places where we find Jesus amazed. In fact, it says, and turning to the crowd that was following him, Jesus said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Verse 10, and here's the culmination of the whole story. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. What we see in this passage is that Jesus is impressed with the centurion's faith. You'll find Jesus addressing over and over in the gospels, over and over and over again, the centrality of faith. In nearly every chapter in the gospels, Jesus is addressing faith. We see Jesus commending faith often. Back in Luke chapter five, we see the story of a paralyzed man. You know the story if you've been around church for a while. There's a paralyzed man. His friends are bringing him to Jesus. They come to a house. They can't get in the house because there's so many people around. So they go on top of the house, they cut a hole in the top, and they lower the man down to Jesus. And when Jesus saw it, he said in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. We see another story in Luke chapter 7 where a prostitute comes to the religious leader's house, which in and of itself is a courageous act. And so this prostitute comes into the religious leader's house. She falls at the feet of Jesus, and the Bible tells us she's weeping at the feet of Jesus. She takes out oil, and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. And the religious leaders are a bit cheesed in this moment, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, if you knew where she had been, if you knew who she was, Jesus Jesus, you wouldn't respond this way. And Jesus looks at the religious leaders and he says, look here, you idiots. Um, that was a general paraphrase. Look here, men, her sins are forgiven. And then he looks at her in Luke 7, 48, and he says, your faith has saved you. Go 
in peace. There's another story in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus is walking through the crowds and there's a woman who had a blood disease for 12 years, the Bible tells us. She reaches out and she touches Jesus. Jesus stops in the moment and he says, who has touched me? The disciples look at Jesus and they say to him, Jesus, look around. It could be hundreds of people who touched you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Somebody specifically touched me and I know this because the power went out from me. And in that moment, the woman who had touched Jesus, she had been healed and she knew that she had been found out. So she falls at the feet of Jesus and she declares that she's been healed. And when she does so in Luke 8, 48, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We see Jesus commending strong faith. We also see Jesus disappointed and, un and unimpressed with other people's faith, particularly the disciples' faith. In Luke chapter 8 also, the disciples are in a boat. You know this scene. It kind of reminds you of a scene that you would see in Old Man in the Sea. There's a storm brewing. The boat is rocking, and the disciples are freaked out. They believe this is the end. They're going to tilt over. They're going to drown in the water and they wake up Jesus and they say, Jesus, look at what's happening. And Jesus looks at them in Luke 8, 25. And he says to them, where is your faith? In other words, do you really think this is how it's going to end? We're just going to drown out here in the ocean. This is what I came for, you of little faith. Then we see in Luke chapter 9, there's a man who's been shouting out to Jesus. He has a son who has been having seizures. The Bible tells us the reason he's having seizures is because he's demon-possessed. And the man is shouting out to Jesus saying, Jesus, can you heal my son? I've reached out to your disciples, and the disciples tried everything they could could, but they could not heal my son. Jesus, can you heal my son? And so Jesus looks at the man, but he's really talking to his disciples. And he says in Luke 9, 41, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? Then in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is preaching this sermon on anxiety. He's preaching to the disciples. The disciples are beginning to realize at this point in their journey that when Jesus preached in Luke chapter 6 about people persecuting you, it was really real. There are people who want to take their life. There are people who want to persecute them. There are people who want to harm them. And so they're worried and they're anxious. And Jesus tells them in Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Verse 7, indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. You are worth more than many sparrows. In other words, the reason why you're anxious is because you're worried that I'm not going to take care of you. You lack faith and you don't trust me. And so the disciples are watching Jesus commend strong faith. They're watching Jesus rebuke weak faith, so much so that we get to Luke chapter 17, and the disciples in verse 5 finally shout out to Jesus. They're beginning to process this thing, and they say to him, Jesus, increase our faith. Later on in Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. The nine lepers go away, but one leper comes back to give thanks to Jesus and to praise Jesus and to give honor to Jesus. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 17, we're not all 10 cleansed. 
Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this one? Then he said to him, rise and go. What does he say? Your faith has made you well. Luke chapter 18, there's a blind man in Jericho and he hears that Jesus is coming and he's passing by and the blind man shouts out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. The disciples say, shh, Jesus has got a lot going on. He doesn't need to be bothered in this moment. But the man continues to shout, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stops, he looks down at the man and he says, man, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says to Jesus, I want to see again. Jesus says to him in Luke 18, 42, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. In Luke chapter 22, the disciples and Jesus are eating one final meal together. This is the Lord's Supper. This is the Last Supper. And they're reclining around the table, and Jesus is having one last moment with his disciples before he's handed over, before he finishes his mission, and the disciples are lounging around, and they're debating who the greatest among them is. Can you imagine that? They spent three years with Jesus. And they're here at the very end. This takes the whole cake. They're arguing in the presence of Jesus who the top dog is among us. And Jesus gives them a sermon about servant leadership. And the greatest among you is your servant. And when he finishes the sermon, he looks directly at Peter. And he says, Peter, tomorrow is going to be a long day. Tomorrow is going to be a difficult day. It's going to start out bad, Peter. It's going to end bad, Peter. In fact, Satan has requested to get into the ring with you, Peter. And then Jesus says in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Peter, tomorrow is going to go bad for both you and I. It's going to start out bad. It's going to end bad, but Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed that your faith would be strengthened. You just keep reading over and over in the Gospels, and you see Jesus commending faith. You see Jesus discouraged over a lack of faith. And when you see Jesus commending faith, you see him saying things like, your, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has forgiven your sins. Your, your faith has saved you. And then when Jesus is disappointed over the lack of faith that he's seeing, he says things like, you of little faith, you have no faith. You have external actions, but you don't have faith to believe the thing that you are doing. Now, can we pause and come back into reality for a moment? Maybe this morning you're having problems with faith. Maybe you have legitimate concerns over Christianity. Maybe you have legitimate concerns about the Bible. Maybe you doubt the goodness of God because you've seen tragedy in your life. Maybe you have family members who have had faith in God and you're having difficulty trusting God because you've seen how it didn't turn out great for them. Maybe you have serious questions about Christianity this morning and you've heard people say to you, well, you just have to have what? Faith. What can I say to you this morning? If you have serious questions this morning, 
And these are legitimate questions. It's not just an excuse for doing away with Christianity and putting Christianity behind you. If you have legitimate questions this morning about Christianity, can I just affirm your questions? Don't let anyone tell you anything differently. Let me tell you how the Bible describes faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is what the Bible says. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance about what we do not see. Now, Paul's right there. That's difficult to understand. That, that's, that's an incredibly difficult thing to process. In other words, faith is a belief in something that's not there. In other words, you're assured even though you cannot yet see it. Can I tell you how that's worked out in my own life personally? When I was a teenager growing up, I partied for happiness. If you've, you've heard my testimony, if you've been around here, I partied for happiness. And, and, and I grew up in church. My parents grew up in church. I saw my parents' faith. But there were a lot of moments in my own life where I doubted that their faith could work for me. And then I went to a winter weekend, and I heard a man preach about Jesus and trusting Jesus with our lives. And listen, I could not explain it, and I still had some doubts in the moment. But that weekend in January, of 1994, God gave me a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and assurance that I could trust him. And then a month later, after I'd trusted my life to Jesus, I'm speaking with a friend of mine about Jesus and and just begging him to consider Jesus. And look, he's got all of these questions that I cannot answer and I don't know the answer to. And I'm like, listen, I I don't know, but I know this to be true. God has changed me and what he said he was gonna do for me, God has done for me. I can point you to someone who can answer your questions better than I can. But listen to me, I have assurance and I've got confidence that what has happened to me and what God has said about me is promised to be true. And then just a few years after that, my dad gets sick. And my dad gets sick and he eventually passes away. And and quite honestly, I could not explain it. And just to be very frank with you, I was downright angry with God about it. But I just knew God had changed me and I could trust him with everything in life. And then the next year after that, I know this may sound weird. I told it to the first service, but since ninth grade, I had been planning on being an accountant. Who grows up planning to be an accountant? My friends up here who are accountants, I love them to death. I don't know, but I grew up wanting to be an accountant. And so from ninth grade, that was my plan. And then I get into college. My dad passes away. And then a year later, my plan is to graduate, take the CPA, hopefully pass, get my master's in accounting and be an accountant. And I couldn't explain it all, but I just knew that that's not what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to go to seminary and I was supposed to begin ministry. And I had assurance that that was what God was doing. The Bible said, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Sometimes it's hard to understand. It's difficult to explain faith. And there are times in our life when when we just look back over our life, just like how I've just narrated to you, and we say, I can't explain it. I, I don't understand it. And I know you probably won't understand it, but I'm confident. I have assurance that this is what God said he was gonna do, and this is what God is doing, and this is what God is going to continue to do. It's difficult to explain faith, but you know it when you see it. 
And you see it in the life of the centurion here in Luke chapter 7. Pastor Matt, what is it that we see? What is evident about a person who has faith? I want you to understand this. Faith has an overflow. Faith must have an overflow into our everyday lives. Faith is not just this mental ascent to a belief or a set of facts or things that we read. Faith has an overflow in our everyday lives. And in fact, faith will cause our feet to move forward. It will cause us to go his way. Sometimes it will cause us to go in ways that we never imagined, we never dreamed, we never planned for ourselves. And can I say to us this morning, if faith doesn't spill over into our actions, then what we have is not faith. The evidence of the presence of faith in our lives is going his way with God. This is how the book of James describes it. James chapter 2, verse 17. James says, faith without works is dead. In other words, faith leads us to take step forwards in our lives, even in times when we don't like it and we don't want it, but we have to trust it. Now, can I bring faith into your real life this morning? And I just want to get very personal because when I began the message this morning and told you I was going to preach about faith, if you're a believer here this morning, you probably thought, well, I'm already a Christian. I don't need to hear a sermon about faith because I have faith in God. Well, let me get very personal and and let's dig a little bit and see if indeed what you possess is really faith. Let me just bring faith into your romantic life this morning. Let me bring faith into your romantic life, whether you're single or whether you're married. Now listen, at some point in your day, at some point in your week, at some point in your month, at some point in your hour, if you're a male, there are going to be, we're going to be faced with these desires in our life. Now can I say to us, God created us as sexual beings. That's how he wired us. But the Bible is very clear about God's sexual intent for you. How do you know that, Pastor Matt? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, tells us this. It is God's will. Now, pause just for a moment. If we can put that verse on the screen. It is God's will. When you come to a verse, when you come to a verse in Scripture that says it is God. Maybe I didn't give it to you. That's all right. Let me just read it for you. It is God's will. When you come to a verse like that, there's no uncertainty. This isn't gray area. Like, I wonder what God thinks about this. He could think this or he could think this. The Bible says this is God's will. What does he say? That you should be sanctified. What does sanctified mean? In essence, it means becoming more like Christ. This is what the Bible says. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, we could do a whole word study on that and parse a bunch of sermons. Verse 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Verse 5, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. Now, can I ask you, do you have faith in God's plan for your intimacy? What do you mean? Well, the Bible is very clear on God's intent for sexual intimacy. God, the Bible is very clear on the boundaries and the parameters for sex, man and a woman. It's very clear. Don't take advantage of another. Don't let lust control you. But for many, lust is raging and it's out of control in our lives. 
Do you know how you find yourself in physical and mental and emotional danger sexually? Do you know how you find yourselves in those places? You find yourself in those places and it's dangerous when you don't have faith in God's plan for intimacy. What do you mean, Pastor Matt? I mean, we give ourselves over to other people to be taken advantage of. That's, that's, a, that's a difficult situation. Or, or even worse, we take advantage of someone else. Why? Believing this is going to bring relational stability to me. Or maybe we give ourselves over to inanimate, listen, inanimate temptations, pixels on a screen. Or maybe we ignore God's pure commands, his commands for purity and intimacy intended in the right context context in the right way and allowing our dating relationships to wander into ungodly territory. Now, this is very specific, and if you're nervous, just bear with me, because I'm going to give other people in the room an opportunity to be nervous, all right? (laughs) This is one of those times in life where something in life's not going the way I want it to. And what Christ is asking of me is at odds with what I'm desiring. Now listen, so in that moment, I can take a step of faith and say, God, I trust you with my physical desires. God, I trust you with my emotional desires. God, I trust you with my passions. God, this is hard for me. This is difficult to do, but I'm going to be the man or the woman that you've asked me to be. And even if this goes bad, God, I'm going to have faith that you know what's best for me. I can't see it right now because I'm burning with passion and lust, but I'm choosing to believe it by faith. We could apply this in so many areas of life. You can apply this in the area of your finances. You can apply it in the area of your parenting. You can apply it in the area of of how you relate to your own parents. But listen, faith says, I walk this way because I believe the word of God is true. And there is a creator God. And by walking his way is better than going my way. I was going this way, but now I'm going his way. And faith tells us when we walk his way, it's our best chance at lasting joy. You need to believe that this morning. And when I decide to walk my way, there's a hundred percent chance that I'm going to mess things up. Now let's not play pretend here this morning. This is difficult. This is hard to do when reality meets real life. But listen, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the assurance of saying, I don't yet see it. In fact, there is competing affections in my life, and I can't see what you're saying, God, to be true. But God, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to trust it. It's the assurance that what God promises is what God is going to deliver. My purity delivers his joy. My generosity delivers his blessings. My obedience, my faith delivers God's will. But if you're like me, you've probably been told so many times over and over and over again in life, you know what, you just just have to have faith. 
But can I say to you sometimes how we think about that? Listen, I get that, but blind hope is not faith. Blind hope is not faith. And if blind hope is not faith, then what is faith? What kind of faith is it that we see here in the centurion? Well, this is the picture that we see of the centurion's faith, and this is the best way to describe it. What's happening in the centurion's life is that he's got humble trust in the authority of Jesus. He's humbly trusting that what Jesus, he's heard about Jesus and believed about Jesus is absolutely true, and that Jesus has the authority to deliver what he said he's going to deliver. This is an incredible example of humility. Remember, this is a Roman soldier. This is a man that that Rome had given authority over men and women. He knew what it was like to have authority over soldiers and servants. And the centurion had obviously heard and obviously believed that Jesus had the same authority over disease and sickness. The centurion says, listen, listen, I, I believe that Jesus can say go and the sickness will go. The centurion says, I believe Jesus can say, come, and diseases will come out. I believe Jesus can say, do this, and the disease is done. Listen, this morning, do you believe that when Jesus says, go, that's the place where you can find the greatest purpose in your life? Do you believe that when Jesus says, come with me, that is the place where you can find your greatest joy? Do you believe this morning when Jesus says, do this, that you will have his blessings? That's what the Bible calls faith. And then Jesus says, after he sees this in the centurion, that not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Now, that would be shocking to his Jewish listeners of the day. The people around him who were Jewish had this idea that my association with Judaism, my my practice of Judaism is enough credibility to guarantee me heaven. But Jesus essentially tells them, listen, your Jewishness does not guarantee anything in eternity. What matters is if you have faith. And it's the same for every human being who lives today. It's the exact same for every human being who lives today, who's sitting in this auditorium this morning. Your eternal destiny is not dependent on how good and respectable you are and your reputation and the good things that you've done for a community or for other people. It's not dependent on those things. Your eternal destiny is dependent on humble trust in the authority of Jesus to save you from your sins and to be the Lord of your life. And Jesus says, everyone who trusts in that is welcomed by the king at my table forever. Now, can I close out this morning? The band's going to come up. And can I just speak to you very personally this morning and just try to make some application and tell you why this is important this morning? Maybe you're walking with God today. And maybe you've had the experience of the assurance of things hoped for in some areas of your life. Maybe you can just double down and say, Pastor Matt, I I fully have faith in God in these promises and his goodness in these areas in my life. Maybe maybe you're married today and you've got a really good marriage and you're saying, you know what? I've got faith that when Jesus said I should love my bride as Christ loved the church, I've got faith that that's going to bring the greatest joy to my marriage. But maybe at some point in your life, even though you've got faith 
than God in this area. Maybe at some point in your life, you come face to face with how God is progressing in your life. And God says, okay, let's talk about this. I want to talk about how you do business. I want to talk about how you conduct yourself in your business. And you say back to God, listen, God, I don't know if you understand, but this is how my industry works. I don't know if you know this, God, but I really deserve it. And God says to you, but that's not the way we're going to do it. And your faith in God's ability to care for you begins to dry up. Maybe you're single this morning and your career is going fantastic. It's, it's going great. But, but maybe there's an area of your life. Maybe it's your sex life this morning. That God is beginning to address and he's trying to speak to you about it. Can I just say to you, make no mistake about it. God's the author of sex. He's for sex. He wrote a book called The Song of Solomon. It's pretty graphic, and God was the author of it. God is for sex, but maybe God is dealing with you on some sexual issues, and you're resisting, and you're refusing him this morning, and you refuse to surrender, to walk with God in the same direction. Regardless of the faith that you may have in other areas of life, when you begin to refuse to walk with God in faith in the areas he's trying to address the movement of God the power of God the presence of God begins to dry up maybe it's not a job this morning maybe it's not your sex life this morning maybe maybe it's your future maybe you've got anxiety over what your future looks like. Maybe you've got anxiety over trusting God with his plans for you and what he's got prepared for you. And so you begin to take things into your own hands and you began to plan your own future without considering the wisdom of God. Listen to me, the power of God, the presence of God, the movement of God begins to dry up without faith. And what happens when faith begins to dissipate in your life is that you come to church and, and over and over and over and over you walk through these doors and you wonder where God is, where his presence is, where his power is. The Bible tells us where there is faith, the power of God is there to move in my life. Where there is faith, the presence of God is in my life. Where there's a lack of faith, listen to me, the movement of God dries up. Where there is a lack of faith, pain and sorrow and dissatisfaction settle in. And this is where it gets really painful in your life. Is that if you have long, sustained periods and seasons of your life that lack faith, it can lead you to a place where you begin to believe God simply isn't enough to satisfy me. And so if you're in that place this morning, you've ever been in that place in your life, you've found that it's easy to say to God, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can be happy, God, if I gave my sexual desires to you, so, so I'm gonna satisfy myself as I see fit. In these long, sustained seasons of a lack of faith, 
We find it easy to say things. You know, I, I don't think my future will be secure if I give my finances to you, God. So, so I'm just going to handle them this way. The harshness of that reality is that in those moments, we believe that we're wiser than God when we walk that way. Can I just ask you to do something? We're going to close out this morning, sing a song. Can I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? Bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to ask you a couple questions as we close this morning. If you're in a place this morning that is dried up and God's power and his presence and God's movement in your life are stagnant, can I ask you this morning, is there, a, is there some place in your life where the Holy Spirit of God has asked you to trust him in faith and walk in obedience. Listen to me, you can't just, you can't just walk around asking where God is and simultaneously tell him you're not going to walk with him by faith. So your head bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to consider a couple things. Maybe today if you're a believer, you need to say to God that the same thing that the disciples said to him in Luke chapter 17, God, Jesus, help my unbelief, help my lack of faith to trust you in what you said and your plans for my life. So I think it would be wise this morning before we just hurry out and we rush out, if we just slow down, if it's true this morning where there's a lack of faith that there's there's power and his movement dry up. If it's true this morning when there's a lack of faith, there's difficulty and struggle, then maybe we just need to take some inventory of where we are this morning. Can I ask you, what's going on in your head? What's going on in your heart this morning? Where have you refused to walk with God? Is there some place that you're refusing to move forward with God where he said go? Can you... Just listen and trust me when I say this this morning. God is not trying to rob you of joy. God's commands and his joy actually run in the same direction. God's not trying to take something from you this morning. God is trying to give something to you. Is there some place in your life this morning where you're saying to God, God, I'm just not going there. I want to pray for us, and I'm going to pray for you this morning, that God would increase our faith, that God would make our faith stronger, that he would help us in our time of unbelief. God, we acknowledge this morning, many of us in this room have faith and trust in many areas of our life, God. God, in many years of our life, things are going well, and we just have an unshaken faith that, that you are who you say you are. But God, I just know there are many of us also in this room, Lord, who are having a difficult time trusting you and having faith in you to believe some things in our life. God, that may be in 
in view of our sexual intimacy, God, that may be in view of our relationships, that may be in view of our parenting and how we relate to our own parents. It may be in view of our career or our finances, God. God, this morning, we pray the same thing the disciples prayed in Luke 17, increase our faith. God, we pray the same thing that you prayed for Peter. Peter, I pray that your faith would be strengthened to believe with humble, with humility, God, in the authority that you have towards our life to deliver everything you've promised. God, help our unbelief this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.